What's up, everybody? My name is Cam, and I'm your host for the Big Yikes podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Big Yikes podcast. As per usual, I have a very special guest um, today. Future Dr. Deborah Coleman is on my podcast. Hi, Deborah. Hi, baby gorgeous. <laughs> um, we had a little bit of chat before we started recording, and it was like too inappropriate for me to record. So <laughs> that's why we're just starting. Um, Deborah, I got to ask for the people how I'm like, I don't remember if I remember, but how do you remember how we met? Okay, I think the very first time, because so we met through Priscilla. And Priscilla and I share an office when we were interns. Um, And I think you came by the office one day or you were in there when I got there. And so I wasn't really able to like speak to you. But then I just like kept seeing you around. But I think the day where we really talked is because I have a Love Island water bottle and you stopped me in the hallway to talk about it. And then we talked about it. And that that random like lady also stopped and was talking about it because she recognized the bottle. And so that was I think that was like the start of it. I was literally gonna say I remember seeing you in your office but yeah I remember seeing your white water bottle and I was like wait do you watch the violin you're like yeah I was like oh my gosh I love that show I'm rewatching one of the old seasons right now but that's just crazy I I do remember Priscilla being like yeah I share an office with Deborah and I was like she seems so cool and like you had a great fashion sense and I was just like I have to be friends with her but obviously I was like scared because she was telling me about everything you're doing and I was like damn she is so prestigious like i don't know if i'm cool enough to hang out with her so the imposter syndrome is so real because even priscilla's like you do so much and i was like really because i feel like i don't do anything you spending like 16 hours a day at school you're like i don't do much as if i didn't have to give a speech at the grand america on friday like i don't know i just have sometimes i just have really bad imposter syndrome or i don't give myself enough credit so yeah i'm like you don't but i will give you the credit i've seen deborah yeah speak at um let's see those mlk commemoration week um you're you were president of bsu like was a president just like all these really cool things uh tell the people where you're going this fall so this fall i'm going to the number one hbcu howard university in washington dc and i'll be getting my phd in clinical psychology she's like yeah i don't really do that much (laughs) i'm like no you do a lot um what did you study at uv i studied psychology and autism studies autism studies okay i didn't know that my mom did special education for over 25 years so i'm like too bad she's not here or else i'd be like speak to her queen (laughs) (laughs) sorry no but that's great um okay where did you grow up and what was your childhood kind of like so i call two places home i was born and like graduated from high school and stuff in florida i was born in fort lauderdale florida but then mostly grew up in west palm beach florida but i also spent a lot of my childhood in queens new york with my grandma so i call both florida and new york home and i think both places have really made me who i am yeah do you think well i'd say like more new york i'm not too familiar with florida do you feel like florida was very diverse as well Florida, like insanely diverse. Like I feel so privileged to say that I grew up in both places because it's like they're both insanely diverse places. You meet people from all over the world. You could be walking down the street in either Florida or New York and you're going to hear like 10 different languages and you're going to be like, whoa, like you get out the airport and you hear 10 different languages and it's like, whoa, like it is just so diverse and amazing. And I'm so fortunate to have grown up in both places. That's so much fun. Do you prefer, do you have a preference like Florida or New York? Like if you had to pick one. Okay. This one always surprises people, especially with the current political climate of Florida. Florida? But I love me some Florida, okay? I... I love the sun. I love the water. Crazy thing is in New York, in the part of Queens I grew up on, I lived on a street called Beach Channel. From our apartment, you can literally see the beach. It was a five minute walk to the beach. So I've always grown up near the water, but New York gets cold and I'm just, I'm a summer girl. Summer 365. I love that. Okay. What's your favorite thing about Florida besides the weather? Was there like a favorite restaurant or activity that you did growing up? Um, I mean, besides the beach, of course, I would have to say my favorite other part about florida like it's not the theme parks because i i could care less with the theme parks Publix. i love that fucking <laughs> grocery store can i cuss yeah, yeah no yeah i forgot to tell you i forgot to tell you before um i do one take so nothing's edited and you can name you can do whatever you want okay. essentially i just don't edit it so okay. 
I love Publix grocery store. Like Publix is everything great. I think Publix has some of the best fried chicken I've ever had. They have the best sweet tea, the best lemonade, sushi, but the, the creme de la creme is the chicken tender sub. Ooh, if you go to Florida and don't get a pub sub, you are missing out. Like, uh, Publix is like only in the South. So if you are ever in the South, find a Publix. They're, the chicken's amazing. The sushi, like everything is just amazing. And then, I mean, it being Florida, the sushi, the seafood, whatever is fresh and it's good. Wait, I'm like, build the chicken sandwich for me really quick. Okay, don't make fun of me because I'm a very basic sandwich person. Oh, oh, I am too. Nothing like Subway. I'm not going crazy. Growing up, like my sisters never wanted to share subs with me because I'm so basic, but it's also a very thick sandwich, so I don't want to get a lot, but I usually get like Italian bread, a white American cheese, and then the chicken tenders and like lettuce and mustard and stuff. But that's like the extent of it for me. But I know other people, they're like, put some peppers with that chicken and everything, but it's, it. she's a thicky, okay? Um, so now I legally have to go to Florida to try yes. that sandwich at Publix. Or even if you just have a layover, leave the airport. Like I had a friend, she had a layover in Miami and she left the airport. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. Switching gears to New York. What's your favorite thing about New York? I guess like their thing is kind of pizza or like street oh. vendors. I love New York pizza. You can't find better pizza anywhere. I don't care what anybody from Chicago says. Okay. Like New York pizza is truly the best and you can find it for 99 cents. Okay. But I would honestly, I think my favorite thing about New York is the sense of community. Like it is so populated, but yet you feel such a strong sense of community. Like I went to kindergarten. It was weird. Like I did kindergarten there. Then I left and went back to Florida. Then I came back and did fifth grade. And it's like anytime I, and I, but I go back every summer as a kid and every time I would go back, it's like, oh, I haven't seen this woman in years, but she still remembers like everything about me. Like, it's like, oh, I haven't seen this friend in years, but they still remember everything about me. And it's like, there's a very strong sense of community there. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, I'm like, obviously the big question is, what the hell brought you to Utah? <laughs> I used to go to BYU. That's literally one of my questions. <laughs> kind of. Why tell the people a little bit, a little backstory, right? Convert. Yeah. Okay. This is crazy. So when I was like 11 or 12, um, the missionaries like started coming to my house, but I was so uninterested. Like I was a like angry preteen. Like I hated the world. I hated life. I hated everything, everyone, except for my grandma. And so when they were coming to my house, I was like, ew, I'm not talking to those Jehovah witnesses. Like I just assumed everybody that knocked on your door is a Jehovah's witness. And I was like, I'm not talking to them. But then we moved cities and I was 13 now and it was like New Year's Eve. And I don't know why, but I wrote my New Year's resolutions. And for some reason, like, I mean, not just for some reason, but one of the top things on the list was like figuring out like about God and like, it's like, oh, like you hear everybody mention God, like as a Haitian kid, like you, you have no option but to go to church for six hours on Sunday. And so it's like, okay, like God, but who really is he? And then literally the next week in this new town, missionaries found missionaries found us. And like, I didn't put it together at first who these guys were. I was just like, oh, the last ones were Jehovah Witnesses. But then like after a while, I was like, oh, the name tags, they're men. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, wait, these are like kind of the same guys as last time. But like this time I was very open to hearing what they have to say and learning and everything. And I made the decision at 13 to convert and join the LDS church um, and then I would say the church was like the first time someone ever told me I could go to college mm. and it was just like, Oh, like I, I'm the first woman in my family to be born in this country. Everybody else before me was born in Haiti and stuff. Never went to college. Some of them didn't even graduate high school. And so I was like college, like you think I could go to college? And they're like, yeah, you can go to college. And I remember a sister missionary, she was like, and you could even get your college paid for. Like I, so I went to this summer camp and everything at BYU called SOAR. And it was like, wow, like look at all these other people who, you know, kind of look like me. Like I was like, there is diversity in Utah. That's crazy. Like it was the first time I ever met like a Polynesian person too. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa, like what is this? Um, and I was just like, okay, I, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to try and go to BYU. And so, yeah, I, I graduated, I got into BYU, moved to Utah, summer 2016. I did about a year and a half at BYU and I was like, BYU is just not for me. 
Like, I was like, I was like, I'm so sad because I sacrificed a lot to be here, but I don't want to be here because I don't feel welcomed here or supported. And it was just like, I got to go. Like, I'm going to back up, like pulling back those memories, coming to Utah for the first time, moving. Like, first of all, that's amazing how the connection, I would have never thought you meeting missionaries could translate to be like, yeah, you can go to college because it's just like, to me, like that would never come up or like when I was on a mission, that's never, anyway, that was never in the back of my head. So when you decided to leave home, AKA like New York, Florida, to go across the country to a place you're not familiar with, like, how was that experience for you? It was, the transition was really hard because something that I quickly learned was when I went to SOAR, I thought this is what BYU is going to be like, this diversity that I'm experiencing here right now. But then I had to quickly realize this was a small bubble. This was set up a certain way so that I can see the diversity. But then when I actually started to experience a semester here as an adult and a student, I was like, it's not that diverse. Because most of the people from SOAR didn't actually end up coming to this BYU or coming to BYU like at all. And so it's like, oh, like some of these friends I thought would be here are not here. But also, yes, like this is a small, like a group of diverse people, but this group is so small compared to the university as a whole. Like we are literally part of the 1% at this university. Less than 1% of BYU is black. And so it's just like, oh, there's really only like 200 of us. Like that's crazy. And I've never experienced that growing up in such diverse places. Like where I grew up in Florida, yes, like I guess you can call it a predominantly white institution, but I was never ever the only black person in a room. Like I was never the only minority. I was never the only black person. But then it was like, I got to Utah and it was like, not only am I the only minority, I'm the only black person. Like, like even if I'm like in Florida, if for, if for some reason I was the only black person in a room, I was not the only minority. Cause you've got Mexican girls, Puerto Rican girls, you've got Cuban girls, like you've boys as well. Like it was like, Oh, I was never the only minority, but it's like, Oh, I am the only minority. And like what Utah is the first time I ever truly felt like a minority. And like, people are always confused what I mean by that. But it's like in Florida, I never felt like a minority because there was always someone with the same exact like family background as I am from my family's home country or just someone else from a diverse background. So I never felt like the black girl or the odd black girl out or a minority, the only minority in a room. And then I got to Utah and I was like, I am the minority of minorities here. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's, that is insane. Did you have to live in the dorms? You did? Oh my gosh. Okay. I need to hear about your roommates immediately. Immediately. I lived in heritage halls and he lived in halls. So I experienced, I experienced both BYU dorms. So I lived in heritage halls for summer and fall. And again, the only minority in the building. Sometimes I was the only um, black girl in my like apartments. My roommates, I will say were really nice. I did have a roommate who is from Alabama and she did say the N word um what did you call her out on it no i was too scared really why okay i'm like sidetrack do you feel like growing up as a woman of color specifically like a a black woman even though you were in spaces where you weren't the only minority like were you ever afraid to speak up for yourself so in florida and new york no but i also never really had to speak up for myself like I have never been called the N-word in Florida or New York, only in Utah. Again, this roommate, she never called me the N-word, but she referred to black people as the N-word. And it was like, you are definitely from Alabama. And, and so it was just like interesting. But I will say when I was at BYU, I never spoke on black issues. So I was never an activist the way I am now. You would not hear me speak up for LGBTQ stuff. You would not hear me speak up for black issues because I was just so scared that once I started speaking up, then it was like, oh, I would lose like my friends. Like, cause I was involved in like their student government there. I was involved in a lot of things. And it was just like, I was trying so hard to fit in and not feel as alone as I did. So I was like, I can't speak up about things because people are going to hate me and I'm going to feel even more isolated than I already feel. I'm sitting here nodding my head because I'm like, yes, I think it's so hard and scary to speak up for yourself and others, right? It's like, I care about these people and these issues, but I do not, something in our our bodies, I think is just like, I don't want to receive hate. I don't want people to look at me 
not that they would, I would say like necessarily less, but yeah, in a way like less than they already do, because if they see me as someone different, I don't need them to have another thing to like hate quote unquote, like hate me for. Right. Yeah. And it was like, it was like really hard. And I, I actually ended up leaving that heritage halls dorm and I decided to move to Helaman halls because that's where the people I met at SOAR were living was Helaman halls. That's where I felt like a lot of people of color were living was Helaman halls. Helaman halls, um, has the rep of being the fun dorm and everything. It's, I'm not gonna lie. It's a little ghetto building, but it was a lot of fun living there. Um, what was hard though, is I, I moved into this one dorm and I was going to have this roommate and I was like, okay, it's just going to be the two of us. So I hope she really likes me. After two days of living together, she ended up like going to the RA and requesting to move out. And I came home one day and she was gone. Like her stuff, she just packed up and gone. She just packed up and left. Um, and it's like, we didn't even really, we didn't even really talk on the first day. Um, she had a bunch of stuff on my side of the room and I was just like, Hey, like, like, can I just like put these on your side? She had this like basket or something. No, I had something that I put on top of the mini fridge Mm -hmm. and she kept moving it to under the sink or next to the trash. And I was just like, well, the mini fridge is on my side of the room. And it's like, I don't want this stuff next to the trash. Mm-hmm. Like it was food. I was like, why would you put my food under the trash, sink yeah. that like that leaks or next to the trash? Like that's disrespectful. And so I was like, I'm going to put it back on the mini fridge because once again, it's on my side of the room and you are already taking up a lot of space because she had instruments and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm putting it on top of the fridge since the fridge is on my side of the room anyways. And then the next day she moved out and I want to think, which is wild because it's like, we're 18 years old, so we are, you know, we're newly adults, but I would like to think we are old enough to get over, yeah, have a conversation and get over small things like this. And I want to think that she just like was so type A and controlling of space that that's why she felt the strong urge to move out. But I also can see how she probably didn't like that a black woman was coming into this space that was originally hers and telling her how it was going to be. Like you said, I, I think like you're like, I don't want to assume this, but it's hard not to be like, yeah, yes. I'm one of color. I am. And the thing is, when you're a freshman, yeah, in those specific situations, the room is split down the middle. I never lived in a dorm, but it's like in that case, if you're sharing space, dude, it has to be equal. Yes. So, I mean, you're so nice, right? You're, you you want to be kind and give the person the benefit of the doubt and saying, you know, maybe they are dealing with other issues and they just didn't want to talk about it and they left. But yeah, how does your brain not be like, it's because I'm not like them? Yes, like. As an 18-year-old, like, maybe, yeah, my brain's not fully developed. Like, we're not the most mature. But I would like to think we are mature enough. And as someone who has grown up with siblings, I have four little sisters. I know what it's like growing up with girls. I know what the chaos in the home feels like. But I'm like, you, this, this one little thing cannot be the main reason for why you had to leave. Like, move all of a Yes. Literally a day later. <laughs> like, that, like, that was, like, at first it was, like, oh, like, that made me so sad. I was, just like, okay, like, I don't, I feel even more isolated now. I just moved to this new dorm, so I don't know a lot of people in my building. I thought I was going to have a roommate that I was good with because the girl whose contract I took over, she was really sweet, and she told me this other girl was really cool and that they were friends and everything. And I was, like, perfect. It's just going to be me and this one person. Like, we have no choice but to really be friends. But then it was just, like, oh, she left after a day of talking to me, not even talking to me. The only time she really spoke to me was telling me where I was going to put my stuff when I was just like, no, that's not really fair. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like, okay, that was like one of those situations where it's like, oh, I can't really advocate for myself because this girl just moved out and people are noticing this and she's telling people she wasn't very comfortable. And it's just like, okay, now I can't help but think you're leaving is primarily because I'm black. And so it was, it was really hard. I was so depressed when I lived in those dorms. Like I literally would not leave the dorm at all sometimes because it was just like, oh, like people hate me. Like I'm so obviously, you know, the odd woman out, like it's really uncomfortable here. Do you feel like at any, at any point in BYU while you were there for, you said a year, a year and a half that you were able to find any kind of community on campus or like where you were living? Honestly, I never really went to the BSU. I went like once and, um, but my schedule just didn't really allow me to continue to go. 
um, cause I had evening classes and they meet in the evenings. And so I really wasn't able to go to the BSU. So I really wasn't able to make as many black friends at BYU as I would have liked to. I did end up making friends and I had a very diverse group of friends. And I will say that is really what saved me was having this diverse group of friends. Like I had like this group of friends, Polynesian girls, black girls, Asian girls, white girls who from Utah, who are actually very woke mm-hmm. Mexican girls. It was a very diverse group of friends. And I'm so grateful to, although like, we're not all super close anymore. I'm so grateful to have met those girls because essentially I will say like, that's probably what saved me at BYU was that core group of friends. But it was like, even like, I remember trying to get to mental health services and they were like, oh, you're going to have to come back next semester. Ma'am, it's spring. That means you're telling me I have to come back in the fall. And I was just like, what if I hurt myself by then? And she's like, we just don't have the resources to help you. And I was just like, okay, whatever. You're like, this is an emergency. Yeah. And so it was just like, it kind of like, that kind of made me give up on trying to ever get help or talking to anybody. And so it was just like, it is what it is. Like, I'm just going to, I have to move on. With mental health, I think obviously like not being able to have a community to kind of reach out to is very like strong in that area, right? Where you have no one really can turn to or talk to. And then on top of that, where resources aren't accessible. And especially when you're telling someone like, what if I am in a place where I am going to hurt myself and they're still giving that to you? It's very, that has to be very frustrating. It was so frustrating. And I realized that issue is not just a BYU issue. It's a Utah issue. Utah has an extreme lack of mental health professionals. Um, And then it's like, there's an even more like bigger lack of diverse mental health professionals or culturally competent people. I do not mind seeing a white therapist, but something I learned the hard way is not every therapist here is culturally competent and not every therapist here in Utah can separate church and state. So even when I was very active in the church, like I remember telling the therapist something and I was like, I told her, I was like, I think I'm going to hurt myself in this way. And she said, I'm going to take your name to the temple and pray for you. You're like, Girl, thank you so much. However, like, what is that going to do here? And I was like, at the time, I was thinking about going on a mission. And so I was like, I was like, you know what? I understand the temple is an amazing place. But how is that going to help me right now, Miss Girl? How is that going to help me right now? But I also was struggling with the idea of like, am I going on a mission? Am I not going on a mission? If I don't go on a mission, does that make me less worthy? And it's like, I'm telling you, I also don't feel worthy to be a member of the church. And you are throwing religion in my face right now. Like, it was like, how how is this really going to help me? Like, is and you have to understand like I mean she did get her degree from a school where it's like religion is going to be incorporated into everything mm-hmm. and it's just like I respect her for being a part of this faith which again at the time I was a part of that faith as well but it was just like even as a member I'm like I can see that right now spirituality is not what can really help this situation there we, there are other solutions and we need to find those well, I'm sure from that experience as well, it's learning, like you said, a lot of people can't separate church and state here. And I think it's really important to also forget, like when you're in that setting, uh, they should forget their like personal bias, right? Or like whatever, like they need to stick to the book. I had a therapist that I had all throughout high school um, who helped me with like my anxiety and stuff. And after my mom passed away, I was like, I'm going to go see her again. Like I felt very comfortable. And when I opened up to her, I was like, yeah, my mom passed away from like COVID and stuff. I like figured out she was very right leaning. She did not believe her bracelet said lions, not cheap. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, and so yeah, she like compared my mom. It was for me. I was like, okay, this is like where I can kind of relate is cause she compared COVID to gun rights in my session, um, which everyone can think what they want on gun rights, but she was just saying that there were like positive and negatives. And I was like, how was there any positive to like my, I don't know. And like kind of brought like spirituality into it. And I was like, this is not what we're focused on. So I think when therapists kind of shoved that, and like you said, you at the part at that time were kind of questioning, Hey, am I worthy enough? Do I want to do this? And then when someone shoves more onto you, you're like, that's not what I'm here for. Um, during this time, like were you going to BYU? Were you kind of like, I'm kind of done with church? Like, what were the vibes? So I actually ended up leaving BYU because I was like, BYU is going to be the thing that ruins my faith. Because mm. growing up in Florida, I love church. I, you know, if it ever came down to like, I was on the debate team and all that. I was vice president, captain, all that. I was involved in a lot of stuff at school. But it was, it was like, oh, we get to go to the temple 
yeah, although I've been waiting for this tournament for the whole year, mm-hmm. I'm going to skip out because I want to go to the temple. I'm going to skip out on this because I want to go to this church activity. I went to seminary every single morning. In Florida, you guys are so lucky here in Utah, okay? I worked at a junior high. They are so lucky to have seminary just as an elective and built in and help them even graduate high school. I went to seminary faithfully every single Monday to Friday at 6 a.m. Even when I didn't have a class at school until like 10 a.m., I was still at that seminary building at 6 a.m., okay? You were a God-fearing Christian woman. You were. Oh, I was probably a very obnoxious in high school. Like, I remember one time after flag football game that we lost, I was really upset. And one of my friends was like, Deborah, are you mad right now? And, I was, and she was like, she's like, do Mormons get mad? And I was like, Stop. I was like, what? But, but that's how people viewed me. Like, I carried myself in such a way where people were like, oh, Mormons don't get mad. Like, they're, you know, very optimistic, happy people. And so it was like, if I ever did anything out of the norms, people were like, whoa, aren't you? Because you're Mormon? Yeah. I remember... There's so Dunkin' Donuts is like the big thing back home, and I remember they have frozen hot chocolates, and I ordered a frozen hot chocolate, um, but the teacher forgot to tell them no coffee, and and I remember taking a sip of it, and I was like, "There's coffee," and I just remember crying, and I was like, "BYU is gonna reject me now," and I just thought my life was over because I had this sip of coffee, which is crazy because I come from a family where coffee is a big part of the culture. Every Sunday, donuts and coffee. And it was just like, oh my gosh, I just had coffee. Like, like I was, I was weird. Okay. My family was like, you're weird. Like you don't drink sweet tea. I mean, I grew up in the South. Mm-hmm. All they do is drink sweet tea. And so I was like, no, I can't have a sweet tea. Like even at school, they sold Arizona iced teas. And I was like, I can't have it. Like I remember being sick and my mom was like, have this tea. And I was like, no, I can't have it. And it was just like, I was that, I was that faithful to the LDS church. And I stayed faithful even after leaving BYU. Like I'm endowed. And people are always shocked to find out I'm endowed. But it was like, I stayed very faithful to the church even after leaving BYU. And despite like the people who made me feel like I didn't belong there, because a lot of people made me feel like I did not belong at BYU, did not make me feel like I belonged in Utah or in the church. And so it was like, despite all of that, I stayed very faithful. How were you able to, like looking back, how were you able to stay (laughs) so faithful, even though so many people, right, were like, you don't belong here. This isn't for you. Like how we were using it like really reliant on God or what, what kind of drove you? Because if that were me, I'd be like, okay, I'm done. Like so many people are telling me this and you're a part of my religion. I'm done. So it was two things. The first one was knowing that the church did save me in a lot of ways. I did not grow up in the best home environment. And there were just a lot of like growing up as a kid, like if there were days where if we ate, it's because the church gave us food. If we got Christmas presents, it was only ever because the church gave us presents. And so the church saved me in a lot of ways. And the church was paying for my education. And then the other thing that kept me was fear. Mm. And it was this fear of my life is going to go to complete shit if I leave. And so it's like, I can't leave. Like, I'm not going to get any of these promised blessings. I took the things told to me, my patriarchal blessing to heart. And so it was just like, oh my gosh, like I have to follow everything that's, that my patriarchal blessing says, because if I don't do X, Y, Z, then this will happen. And it was just like, I remember my great grandma died and I was just like, is it because I didn't take the sacrament? Is it because I was late to church? Like I would literally blame myself for the smallest and wildest things. Like a couple years ago, my grandma was really sick and I was like, is it because I haven't been to the, to the temple since getting endowed? And I remember like, she was like in a coma and I remember thinking she's going to die and it's going to be my fault. And it was just like, that's not, that's not healthy. And, um, I actually ended up leaving the church about two years ago, like next month. That was like my final, like, it was like, oh, like I do everything I'm told. I follow everything they say. I try my hardest, but it's like, I'm still not accepted in a lot of church spaces. I'm still not accepted in most of the state and bad things are still going to happen regardless of what I do. And they're not my fault. And it was just like, I don't care anymore. Do you feel like I was talking to Isaac about this when he was on um, his episode about how he was talking about like a bookshelf. He was like, there are so many things that would happen. and be like, yes, 
I'll just put that on a shelf because I still love this so much and I felt like I related to him because that's how it was for me not that I like have officially like resonated and I'm like done but I was just like there are too many things I can't just like ignore do you feel like that was kind of like your experience where it was like okay I'll keep letting things go or like it was just a build-up or were you know like what was that experience when you were finally like I think I need to leave this chapter of my life behind and move forward that really is what it was I avoided all the red flags with the LDS church every single red flag possible I avoided it it was like I didn't like the Jehovah Witnesses for knocking on my door trying to convince me to join a church but yet I just joined this Mm -hmm. I accepted that and something else in Florida you learn about the LDS church in history classes in Florida Mm -hmm. so when I was in eighth grade literally like the same month I converted we started learning about the LDS church and the history of it all And I just remember like my teacher reading this stuff in the textbook and everybody like making this commentary. But the thing is, I didn't believe any of that was true because nobody in the church ever told me that. Missionaries never told me that blacks cannot have the priesthood. So when I heard about the racism in the textbooks, I was just like, that's not real. You guys are lying. I literally stood up and told my history teacher that what she was teaching was wrong that's how devoted I was in. And that's how maybe delusional, I guess you could say. Delulu. I was very delulu. I was a definition of delulu. So it was like the racism. I was like, that's not true. That's not real. Like I know my God's not a racist God. So I know the church is not a racist church. And then I got to BYU and I started learning more stuff. And I was like, oh, so this is, she was right. This is true. And then I learned about like, um, I remember in seminary even, and they were saying like leprosy, the dark skinned people were dark skinned and stuff because they were cursed and leprosy because, you know, of, of being dark skinned or whatever. And I was just like, I was just like, okay, like whatever. Like, I was like, mm, I don't know. Like, and I think there were even a lot of things with the Book of Mormon that deep down I was like, I don't fully believe this because this is, this is not adding up to me, but I was just like, you know what? The church saved me in so many ways. I have to just, I have to ignore it. Like even like the racism blatantly taught in certain classes at BYU and comments professors would make. I'm just like, I'm just going to ignore it because I'm just like also just so scared what God would do to me if I questioned anything. Like you cannot question anything. And so I was just like, I'm not going to question anything because I'm too scared what's going to happen if I question it. I'm too scared how people are going to view me if I question things. Even if I have the right, like I, I can rightfully question things. Like the, you know, dark skinned people being dark because they're cursed. I remember being in seminary and it was like, hmm, maybe, maybe we should ask the teacher more about this. But I was just like, I also want to go to BYU, so I'm not going to risk that. And so it's just like, okay, I'm just going to bookshelf it and move on. I love what you said about how it like it built who you are and it was such a big part of your life because for me, I feel like even though there were a lot of like harmful things, there was also things that I was like, that's truly shaped me into who I am today, which is very hard because I think there are a lot of people who have very negative relationships, which is totally understandable. Mm-hmm. But also like for me where I'm like, I like, it's literally made me who I am. Like I'm still who I am as an individual, but I feel like I wouldn't have learned X, Y, Z, like things like integrity or like service without church. Um, but at what point do you think your bookshelf was so full that you were just like, I I can't, um, I, it literally was two years ago on the way to Puerto Rico for my 23rd birthday. And I just was like sitting in the plane and I had got like, I got some like interesting news and I was just like, it was like, oh, everything I've kind of known is a lie. And it was just like, I, cause I already was thinking about leaving the church anyways. Um, cause my grandma was sick in like April of 2021 and I was just like, oh my gosh, like she's going to die. And I remember leaving work and I went to the temple to pray and everything. And I was just bawling my eyes out. I was there probably from like 5 PM to like 8 30 PM, just praying and crying. And I remember leaving and my car battery died and I was stuck there. And it was just like, Oh my gosh, like, God, what is this? Like, why am I stuck here now? Um, but while I was also there, I was just like, listen, like bad things. Like I just like went here to pray and do all these things. And then my car battery died. So I got stuck here and I was like, okay, so shit's going to happen regardless. Like I just prayed. I just did all this stuff. I wear my, my garments every day, like, and stuff is still happening. Um, and I was just like, but I'm also too scared to really say that out loud. So I'm going to keep going. 
But then it was like, I was literally on this flight and it felt like a dramatic scene from a movie. I get this email, I'm reading it. And it's just like, kind of like life changing news. And it was just like, I don't care anymore. I don't care to keep trying to live a life that essentially is not what God has said. I have to like how he, he has not said I have to live my life like this. I'm essentially trying to live a life where people here are telling me this is how I need to live. Not necessarily God. And it was just like, I'm over it. I don't care anymore. And I was like, I'm going to do what I, what I'm going to do. And I still believe in God so much. And so it's like, and I don't think he loves me any less despite doing the things that I do now. Yeah. I love, and I was going to mention this earlier, but I forgot when you were just like the God that I know and believe in wouldn't punish me or like yeah. do stuff because I'm not like doing things her way. And I think learning to unwire, like rewire your brain into like understanding like God, like, cause I also believe in God. It's like a God that I know and love wouldn't like punish me for doing X, Y, and Z. I'm still an amazing person and I still do X, Y, and Z and I may not be a part of an organization, but regardless, the God that I know and believe in that I, I believe exists would never, right? Treat someone like X, Y, and Z or do something because of the way that they acted. And also, like you said, shit happens. And it's like, even if I pray, even if I do all of this stuff, the universe is still going to do its thing and bad things can still happen to amazing people or people who are literally God fearing. And so it's just unpacking that must've been and like, like, like you said, you're on an airplane. You're just like, I'm realizing you're 10,000 feet up in the air and you're realizing like, Oh, <laughs> like life moves on. Yeah. Like I can't let fear keep me stuck here because I literally like all of my plans were always going to be centered around the church. Like I was not going to pursue something if it didn't like come back and relate to the church. Cause I remember a man who he was, he, this man came up to me in a Burger King and was like, I've never been to Burger King since that was kind of traumatizing. And he was like, I have every right to say the N word. And I was like, and what makes you think that? And he was like, my great grandmother was born on a South African military base. And so I was like, so on United States soil still. And he was like, yes, but it was in Africa. And I was just like, I mean, South Africa, respectfully. Um, and I was just like, oh, okay. And then this man was like, what are you doing in Utah? And I was like, well, I go to BYU. And he goes, so you're LDS. And I was like, yes. And he was like, well, then that makes up for everything. That's more important than being black and Haitian. And it was just like, oh. Like, Not at a Burger King. Yes. And I was just like, okay, this is interesting. And this is like my first like two months of living in Utah, maybe. And I was like, this is wild. Like, I can't believe this just happened. And it was like, essentially, people made it seem like my, like, I cannot hide the fact that I'm a black woman. I can hide the fact that I'm an LDS woman at the time, but I cannot hide the fact I'm a black woman. I am black every single day so clearly, okay? And so it's just like, you are essentially telling me that my identity does not matter. You do not see me as human. Yes, you only see me as an LDS person. You do not see me as anything else. And it was like, it was very dehumanizing. Um, but I had to learn like, okay, like, do I care what these people think or say about me anymore? Like, I'm, no, I don't have to say here anymore. Like I was like, there's, there's so many things I kept like, that was, that was something I bookshelved and I was like, oh, okay, like bookshelf it and come back to it. But then it was just like, no, like I can leave the church and still have a great and successful life. Like, I, I'm like, clearly I'm seeing it right in front of my yeah. eyes. It's like, oh, I've left the church and it's like, I still graduated college debt free. Cause that was something else I was scared about. I was like, oh, well, like tithing is what pays my tuition at BYU. Will I actually be able to graduate college? And it's like UVU is still a great school and very affordable school. Only like a couple hundred dollars more than BYU. And it was like, I was still able to graduate high, high, high honors, debt free, and I'm still going to go to grad school and do all this other stuff. Grad school is not ever something I thought about when going to BYU. There were essentially at BYU, it was like, oh, I kind of thought how a lot of people there think. And it's like MRS degree. That's what I'm here for. Like ring by spring. Is that going to happen? And then I quickly learned ring by spring does not apply to black girls. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I thought like that was going to be me after my mission. I was like, I'm coming home. I'm going to date and I'm going to get married. And here I am. And and I thank God every day that I did not, that did not work out for me. No, listen, I love all my young women's leaders from home, but you guys put some false hope in me. Sister Hibbard, if for some reason you hear this, nobody dates me. Okay. Nobody wants to take me on a date. Like they're all my leaders were like, you're going to go on so many dates when you get to Utah, Deborah. Like I remember like 
leaders telling me, you have such a great personality. And like, when you get to Utah, people are going to love your personality and guys are going to ask you out. Like, Sister Herbert told us about a guy who proposed to her on the train, just seeing her. Like, he, she didn't even know this guy and he just proposed to her. So many stories like that I was told. And it was just like, oh, I'm going to like, like, as a, as a, you know, the fat black girl who never dated, like, I was never really bullied for being the fat black girl in Florida, but it was like, I didn't date, but I also was too scared to date because my mom's crazy and I, the church. And so it was like, I never really dated, but I was like, okay, I'm going to get to Utah. I'm going to be grown. I'm cute. I'm going to date. And, you know, I'm going to get that ring by spring and I'm going to become a mom. And then it was just like, oh my gosh, nobody here looks at me. Well, also I was going to say, like, I didn't realize this until obviously like I've gotten older and stuff, but because a lot of people go on missions out of the country, out of state, then they develop like, I want to say almost like a, actually it is a fetishization. Yeah. And like, cause I've seen this a lot and you know, maybe it is true love, like love you guys. But I look at couples, right. And I'm like, you only dated her, right? Because you're like, Oh, I feel this deep connection with my mission and I can speak the language, but it's like, you don't know, the culture and the customs i'm sorry like you never will um do you ever feel like at your time at byu like while you tried to date that was that was something that came up so there are three kinds of guys i would say i've met at byu and in utah in general the guys with jungle fever i'm like elaborate on each one so jungle fever is you know they're really like hyperly obsessed and into black women and it's like, oh, the guys who either go serve in African countries or like just any predominantly black area, they always come back and it's like, oh, like I want to be with a black girl because of my mission. And it's just like, oh, do you only see me as a service project? Mm-hmm. And it, that's, that's another big thing with that jungle fever for, I would say, return missionaries is like, oh, you still see them as people you served with. Like you still see them as these service projects. Um, I know a lot of guys who came back from their missions with with fiancés and wives or whatever and it's just like interesting i wonder what's going on over there in thailand um but the other type of guys is sorry interesting that was very specific i hope that person does not listen i hope they do um and then the second kind of guy i meet is the guy who also fetishizes me for being a bigger girl the amount of chubby chasers out there there's quite a bit in Utah. I'm not going to lie. There's quite a bit. And then there are the guys who I meet who are... James, I'm sorry. That was crazy. <laughs> Chubby chasers. And then the third type of guy I've met in my time in Utah is the type of guy who is into me, but can't date me because I am black, because their mom's not going to accept it. I've had a guy tell me, you are a great girl. I just could not bring you home. And he was just like, oh... Okay. You're going to let your mommy get in the way of this? Like, yeah. I don't know. To me, I'm like, in relationships, your partner is your family, right? You still have your family, but I'm like, girl, I'll be so for real. Yeah. And it's just like, like Lizzo said, you could have had a bad bitch. And it's just like, but you have a racist family mm-hmm. and you are going to marry the typical Utah girl because that is what your family says is acceptable. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, to each their own, I guess. But it's like, dating here is just the worst. And the guys that I've come across, it's just like, okay, like, like I know I joke about this and I said this in Austin because I was walking down the street and cat called left and right okay which sometimes a cat call it's makes like, me yeah, it's yeah. like oh you think I'm cute but other, times, like, uh-uh. other times like sir please stop talking to me yeah. like please stop talking to me um and I said this in Austin and I was like listen I am a Utah too but I can go a lot of other places and be a good eight some and to some people over there real real like I go home, I go to New York, I go to California. If I hop on one of those apps, it's blowing up. It's blowing up. And then here in Utah, it's just like, yes, it's like, oh my gosh, why is somebody's grandpa trying to match with me right now? And it's just like, oh my gosh, like, that's really it. And it's just like, okay, in Utah, in Utah, I am not, I'm not the beauty standard at, at all. I think the beauty standard here in Utah is very unattainable unless you have a lot of money. And it's just like, I'm not ever going to be the beauty standard here in Utah, but in a lot of places where there's not one beauty standard, it's I'm like, oh, it's going to be easy for me to date here. You're like, I'm hot shit. I realize, yeah, when you go out of Utah, I'm like, I realize like, oh, guys, I'm not a two. I'm, I'm like a six. Yeah. And I'm funny. So like maybe like a seven. Thank you. And I'm like, I had, okay, when I was in Austin, I, I was like, oh, you're probably only talking to me because I have a fat ass. And he goes, no, from your profile, 
I could tell that you were, you know, obviously beautiful. You're tall, which a lot of guys, Don't my like height that. is unattractive to them. How tall are you? I'm 5'10". And depending on what kind of man is asking me, I say six foot to see if they're lying because 5'10 men are not actually 5'10", okay? And so <laughs> I I was like, okay, he's he was like, from your profile, I could tell you were super intelligent. You like to travel. You're outgoing. You're smart. And I was just like, I've never had a guy tell me this. Because here it's like, oh, they'll be like, oh, you have a fat ass. And I'm like, okay, like, thanks. Like, I've worked on it, I guess. But it's just like, oh, like, you like me for things that are not superficial. Well, like you said, when he said intelligence, one thing I have noticed, I'm like, my own personal data collection is that, I'm going to say boys here. Boys here are so afraid of intelligent and powerful woman mm-hmm. and on top of that woman of color and because like to me i know you are so successful and you have a strong personality and you can like command a room i know men are afraid because they cannot match your level because they want someone who is submissive mm-hmm. and i think when i think of dating i'm like that is why i don't feel a lot of successes because a lot of people i have talked to or gone out with they like don't like the idea that i'm pursuing higher education or that i want to do more than with my life than just having kids which is great if you want to do that that's awesome but i feel like the the standard here is like you get married you have kids and your wife's stay at home and you make all the money and we praise the heavens blah 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 but i'm like as soon as they meet someone who wants to match that energy or be better than them they're like no i say like everything about me is like you know the double homicide i'm like it's quadruple homicide like i am a tall fat black woman who is very independent yeah. and is just like men are so scared of that. I've I've had guy friends who are men of color come to me and say, Deb, you're just very intimidating. Like that. I was gonna say that they call you intimidating. I, I hate the intimidating word. I hate that word so much. Like I've been told by white women, white men, women of color, men of color, people say I'm very intimidating. And I'm just like, what about me is intimidating? Because sometimes I'm like, I feel like I'm a goofball. I feel like I'm always cracking a joke. I feel like I come just true to myself. And I guess being true to myself and knowing who I am and not caring what people really think about me is very intimidating to a lot of people. But then when it comes to dating, it's like, I'm not gonna let a man talk to me crazy. Like, you're not gonna tell me what to do. Like, and a lot of them hate that. I, I wanna be the breadwinner. Like, I am the rich man, mom. Like, come on now. And it's like, you're not going to tell me I can't do X, Y, Z. Like, I saw TikTok and this lady, she dropped out of medical school because her husband wanted to, you know, finish his medical school. So she dropped out to help him pay for it. And then he met a doctor in residency and left her. And it's just like, I'm never going to be in a position like that. Like, I'm not going to allow a man to put me in a position like that. And so it's like, I'm very independent. I know what I want out of life. I know what I don't want. And it's just like, I'm not going to let you think you can dehumanize me or minimize me and my accomplishments or what I want. Like, I don't care. Like people are always like, well, it doesn't really matter. Especially, you know, if you're going to be a mom, like I, I love children. I absolutely love children. I love and adore my nephew. I love kids. I used to work at a preschool. I volunteer on the weekends with kids, like autism studies. Like I primarily work with children and it's just like, I absolutely love kids, but I also can wait to have kids. And I know that I can be a working and present mom. And so it's like, if you can't accept the fact that I can do it all, because that's, I truly believe I can do it all. There's nothing that I want that I can't get. Okay. And so it's like, if you don't think I can do it all, then don't be with me. I'm like bowing down. I'm like, yes. But I also think people get the word intimidating confused with, um, confidence. Like you said, everything you're saying, like, I know what I want. I command a room, like everything X, Y, Z. It's like, that's not intimidation, girl. That's confidence. And if you're afraid of confidence, then get out. Yes. I think. I've also surprisingly met a lot of women in Utah who don't like how confident I am. I think some of these people are like, well, you grew up poor. So why are you confident? Yeah, why, why are you so confident? I think the other people, thing that surprises people, I graduated, I graduated summa cum laude. I'm smart as hell. Like, you know, I, I don't love the term nerd, but I can really nerd out, okay? I'm like, you don't get accepted to your grad school without being a nerd. You know what I'm saying? Like, hello? I just get accepted to my grad school, which is one of the number one HBCUs. Yeah. I also got accepted to NYU, which is one of the number one schools overall across yeah. the world. And so it's like, I, I guess you could say, yeah, I'm a bit of a nerd. Like, I'm pretty smart, pretty confident. I'm very successful. I'm very marketable. You don't just get to speak in front of thousands of people at the Grand America because you are not great. And so it's just like, I'm because you're not grand. Yeah. I'm going to give myself that credit. And a lot of people, like, I'm surprised at the amount of women who are like, 
well, you grew up this way, you're from this place, and you're black, like, oh, you're doing better than me? And it's just like, oh, like, you automatically assume that I'm not as smart as you are, I'm not as successful or driven as you are, and I'm not deserving of all the things I've accomplished. And it's just like, I've met a lot of girls here, I'm like, you are not a girl's girl, and that's kind of crazy to me. When I think people stereotypes where they're like well this is your background so why like they just put you into that category where it's like and like you said they're not girls girls like i think a lot of people are like i support women and i love them i mean don't get me wrong people who are dumb like women who are dumb i do not support but i think like yeah you should be excited like let's not forget that women could not open up their own bank account to like 1974 so it's like why wouldn't you be excited to see women especially women of color succeed in all areas of life especially academically and professionally that that's honestly so mind-blowing to me and it's just like everything that i am or want to be is because of a woman in my life who has motivated me to do that so when i meet women who are against other women working or doing certain things with their careers and lives i'm just like that's just crazy to me because it is the women around me who have inspired me to do this like it is it is female doctors who i'm like wow you are a doctor and you are a great mother you are a fashionista an icon I want to be like you. you. If you can do it, I can do it too. And it's just like, look at Michelle Obama, one of the classiest, most beautiful, amazing women I have ever seen. And she has her JD and she's an amazing wife and mother. Like, like, and it's just like, she's amazing. Like, why wouldn't I want to be like Michelle Obama? Like she showed me that I can do it too. And so it's just like, I'm never going to like, I used to have a girl's mentorship program and it was like, I never let my girls think like they couldn't do anything. Like even if one of my girls was failing a class, I was like, you know what, babe, you're going to pass this class and we're going to graduate high school and you are going to move on and do amazing things. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, I'm like, if this is how you talk to other women, how are you talking to your daughters? Yeah. Real, real. And like you said, like, I don't know, to me, you're definitely someone that I would look to and be like, she did it so I can do it. And we're like very close in age, but you're still such an impressionable person and like because all the things you have done that are so successful and because you are so personable with people it's someone that i'm like i can do that because like deborah did like she worked her ass off i can work my ass off too and it's like i just i hate this idea in utah that women are not expected to do much and it's just like it like breaks my heart to see women who have internalized that and are like well like this is my only calling i i think god gave you the the abilities to be an amazing mother and wife but not just that yes but you can also have this amazing career like the amount of women i know who have either dropped out of nursing school dropped out of marketing programs or dropped out of paths to really amazing careers i know women who have dropped out of school when they were one class away from becoming a doctor because they felt like this was their only option and that's not to put down being a housewife because as someone who works with children that shit's not easy. And y'all got to do that 24-7. I only got to do it for eight hours a day at most. And I'm like, okay, it's not easy at all. That is an amazing job and title to hold. But you're, but you're not limited to it. Yes. Yeah. Don't limit yourself to just that because you are capable of so much. And so I wish that's like something like more people here understood is like, yes, you can be an amazing mother. If you want to be a housewife, you go ahead and you be the best housewife on that freaking cul-de-sac or block. Okay. But also understand that you can also do so much. And that's why I really think influencing influencers, um, like the, the good influencers, I think those are great because influencing is marketing that a lot of work goes into that it is so hard to make a tiktok i realize and so it's just like you know i applaud the influencers out there who are doing that but also moms and stuff and it's like uh do do some of the influencers here in utah i feel like push crazy standards yes but it's like okay rachel parcel has her dress line but she's also an amazing mom and she does so much here in the community and everything and so it's like she didn't limit herself and i think that's important I think one thing about her story too as well she was also very close to graduating college and didn't and was still able to make a successful brand and company and name for herself and still like you said have a family and kids Mm -hmm. but notice was like that's just not it I can still be an amazing mom and still have my own company and do stuff I love like being a mom just doesn't take away everything you are like it adds to it Mm -hmm. so and like you said I think it's really important to have those figures in your life to show other young women that that can happen I know my mom was a working professional like she had three kids she went and got her master's degree she worked full-time and still had time for us I'm like she is the reason why I'm like, yeah, I can do this in the future because she's done it. Yes. And it's just like, I want to, 
I want to do it all. I'm a firm believer in I can do it all. Like, I'm going to have my own practice. I'm also going to be the, you know, PTO mom, PTO, PTA, whatever they call it. I'm going to be that mom that's bringing the snacks to the baseball games or whatever. I'll be a soccer mom. I'll be the carpool mom. But I'm also going to be a boss mom. And I think that any man, like, in a relationship, whether, you know, you have kids or not, is going someone i think an ideal partner will support you they're never gonna be like no you don't do that they're gonna push you to have you be and do your best and want you to succeed so you both can be successful together it's like you know i look at couples or like you know how i perceive them and i'm like why would you be with someone who is gonna take away from your talent and like what you can achieve like why wouldn't you want someone who pushes you to be better or like work harder you know what i'm saying like you're a team you'd want to be a successful team not just one on like you know unleveled yeah and it's like i also hate it's like don't shame me for wanting to be a working mom it's like i want to be a power couple like you know like let's do some beyonce and jay-z like i want someone who is ideally as equally as successful as I am and stuff. And it's like, you know, we're both working to achieve really great things. But if my husband was also like, you know, I would like to be a stay at home dad. I'm like, go ahead. Cause I don't want to do it. Like, go ahead, babes. <laughs> like, like I, I'll carry them for the nine months and you, yeah. you know, while I'm at work and stuff, if you want to be the one to like do certain things, if you want to be the PTA dad, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Like, go ahead. Like, I feel like, I think that idea is going to be more common as time goes on, I feel like there is a big shift starting to happen where it's like dads who are more hands-on are going to be like really, for some, I don't know why it's not accepted to be a more hands-on right. dad. Like, I hate when people are like, oh, like, is he not working or yada, yada. And it's just like, or like the movie, The Intern, right? With Anne Hathaway and how her husband's a stay-at-home dad. I'm like, yeah. Like, I remember I went over to a family's house for Thanksgiving and the wife was in the kitchen and she was cleaning up and there was a lot of stuff. And the husband just sat on the couch and watched football. And it was like, you're not going to go help her? Like, what? And it was just like, no, like, you're going to help me. Like, or if I do the cooking, you're doing the cleaning or vice versa. Like, I think like, especially with our generation, it's like finding a partner that's balanced and is equal to work as hard as you. It's like, for me, it's not that I need you. It's that I want you. Like, I'm so fine and comfortable with being on my own like yeah does it suck but it's like i've built up enough and i know in my future that i'm gonna be okay alone that it's like no i want you here because i want you not because i need you not because i depend on you it's because i want you to be here yes that is like the biggest thing i remember somebody thought that was crazy when i said that (laughs) i do not need a man there is nothing a man that can provide me that i cannot do for myself i'm like in all areas of life (laughs) yes literally I have yet to do certain things with a man that I have not been able to do to myself. And so it's like, I do not need a man. I want a man. I want that companionship. I want that company. But I don't necessarily need it. Yeah. Again, it's you want. And I think going back to where people are like intimidating, intimidating. It's like, I think if I find someone who like appreciates my so-called intimidation, they're going to make me softer because they understand. And I've seen yes. theories about that, but I'm like, I think it's totally true. People are like, you have your guard up all the time. Like, blah, blah, blah you're intimidating. But I'm like, yeah, it's cause no one has proven themselves worthy for me to like take that wall down. Yes. Like I was talking to a man last night and I was just like, listen, I'm not playing your games. Like I'm not going to sit here and feed your ego. Like stop playing with me. Stop wasting my time. Like I'm about to start charging y'all for time because I got too much going on. I'm doing too many things. And if you can't help me or add to it, then I'm not going to do it. Like if a man cannot add to my life, then what's the point? Like I haven't been in a relationship yet, but it's like, I also haven't really talked to men who can add anything to my life. And it's just like, what are you going to add? Stress? Misery? Real. No, like you said, I think you're going to find someone out when you go to grad school, who's going to match your energy and can, you know what I'm saying? Give you the things that you want, not that you need. Obviously we all need things, but I just think, yeah, a future partner is going to be able to do X, Y, and Z for you. Um, I just want to ask, what is some advice that you would give to women of color today? Like in Utah? Honestly, I think I would say the sooner you learn to stop caring about what people think about you here, the sooner you are going to be much happier. Because I spent so much time here trying to fit in. I When I got here, I had beautiful, thick, natural, curly hair. And then a white boy told me I would look better if I wore my hair straight. And I ruined my hair. Ruined it. And I get so sad because I'm like, I miss my curls. I was so happy with my curls. I love my curls. And it's just like, the sooner you learn, like, okay, 
just because he said that does not mean that it's okay or that is what's going to make you look better. And so it's just like, okay, the sooner you, you know, brush off what people have to say or stop caring or stop caring to fit in, the sooner you are going to live your true, authentic, and happy life. And now it's like, I go into a room and I'm like, I don't care what people have to say about what I'm wearing, how I look, how I talk, how I act, because I'm showing up as myself and I am happy. And that goes for like anyone. I feel like sometimes it's women of color. It's like we are, sometimes I get told I'm too white or I'm too black. And it's like, the reality is people are never going to be satisfied. So just do whatever the hell it is that you want. That was really good advice. I'm like, I needed that. So thank you. Um, what do you wish you could tell your younger self? Like who you are today, what you've accomplished today. Like if you could give your younger self like a warning or just a piece of advice to move on with throughout the future, what would it be? I think I was not a very optimistic kid all the time. And I unfortunately did not grow up in a home where love was poured into me. I was not, you know, like, like I didn't, I didn't have the parents that were like praising me or raising me up or putting confidence into me. If anything, it was a lot of tearing me down. And I think I would tell my younger self, like, girl, pick your head up. It's all going to work out. You've got this. Uh, you're going to figure this out. It's going to be lonely. It's going to be lonely sometimes, but you are going to figure it out because I was just not very optimistic. So I didn't really see the light at the end of certain tunnels. And it's like, I don't think younger me would have ever thought that I would be where I am right now. And it's just like, it is going to work out for you the way it is supposed to. I could cry. (laughs) Um, what would you tell yourself? Like, what do you hope for yourself to be like, where, okay. Oh my gosh. Where do you see yourself in five years? Ideally. Okay. So hopefully in five years, I would have graduated my PhD program. Hopefully in five years, I am in a happy, healthy, loving relationship as well. Um, I don't want to have kids until I finish my program. And so it's like, you know, like I hope I'm in that relationship and then kids can come down the line from there. But five years from now, I hope I'm even more successful and truly am now in a field to really help change and save lives. Sorry, I don't think this. So the people know that you are doing your PhD program. Um, What is it more specifically in? So you got your like bachelor's in psychology and yes, and then what are you hoping to do with work in the future? So I hope to own my own clinic someday. So I'm getting my PhD because I want to be able to diagnose mental health disorders as well. And so I want to be able to assess, diagnose, and treat disorders. Um, so I want to own my own clinic where I do it all. It's like, you know, you, you come to me, I'm going to do your assessment, then I'm going to help with the treatment plan, and I'm also going to give you the counseling and everything. And depending on the state that I live in with my PhD, I can also, if I need to, prescribe you medications. So yeah. Do you plan on going back to Florida or New York or where would you like to end up? With the current state of Florida's politics, I do not know about Florida. Um, I've only been to DC once and I did fall in love with the area. Um, so if I, if I love DC while I'm there, then maybe DC will be my like home office, but I do plan on being licensed in multiple States, Uh, Utah being one of those States because Utah needs culturally competent and diverse mental health professionals so i do plan on being licensed in multiple states um but as far as where my home base will be i don't know yet because i love new york but new york is expensive i love florida but the politics is kind of crazy right now especially for immigrants and so it's like i don't i don't know yet i gotta find a state that is a solid in between but i also really love the city life and so i'm like okay city life but i also love the ocean so i don't know yet but I think it would be on the East Coast. I don't think I could ever see myself living on the West again because yeah. my whole family is on the East and I'm I'm an East Coaster through and through. East Coast girl. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to people of color, women of color about starting, like going towards their journey in reviving their mental health or looking to get access to therapy or any kind of mental health stability? So... For me, I, I, I've seen therapists both through the university and off campus. Um, the university ones have been the best for me. Like UVU has a dedicated BIPOC therapist and she is really great. And so I would say like, you know, look for that for sure. But because the resources here are so limited, I would also say find your community. There's a lot of group therapy options at UVU, but also just in the community in general. But also I think what helped me a lot is 
finding black women. Like there was a point where I had an apartment and we were all black girls and it felt so safe. Like it was, it was very healing in a lot of ways. Cause it's like, we understand each other and what we are experiencing here. And so I think, you know, find your community of friends, find people who understand you, accept you, relate to you and all that. But also, you know, look for all the resources possible and take advantage of anything you can find. Amazing. I have to, of course, ask your big yikes moment of the week. So something that happened to you this week or recently that you were kind of like, oh, that's so embarrassing. Like, I can't believe that just happened. Like, why would this happen to me? Um, I feel like the one big yikes, it's, I haven't had like anything I would say like embarrassing for me, but maybe more so embarrassing for them, but traumatic for me. I was in Salt Lake and I thought I looked cute as hell on Cinco de Mayo. I had this really cute outfit giving salsa baddie. It was red, flowy, had flowers, stringies. And then these, I was really good. And then these boys called me the N-word. And it was just like. In the streets of Salt Lake. Where were you in Salt Lake? So we were in Salt Lake. I think we were like Main Street. We were walking to where all those clubs are in Main Street. And a group of boys in a black truck, white boys, and I'm calling them boys because they're immature they're really and stupid boys. as hell. And they like roll the window down and were like, you fat nigger. And it was just like. I'm like, for everyone who is listening, she is black. I'm like, you know this, but I'm like, yeah. yeah. I, I can say that. You can't. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, it was like, oh, like it, it did kind of crush my confidence. And what I will say, I shouldn't have let it do is take over that night because I was out celebrating my accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I should not have let it diminish me and like bring me so down because there was a cute boy who tried to talk to me at the club, but I was just so angry about what just happened outside of the club that I didn't want to talk to him. And so it's like, I, I guess like, I just wish I didn't let them ruin that night for me and get to me because it's like, they're just a bunch of losers. Like where are they going? I think it's so interesting how people we do not know or like give a shit about will say something and it affects us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like if my friend, not that my friends would ever say something like rude, but it's like that would obviously hurt me. Why am I letting a stranger who knows nothing about me yeah. like diminish my entire like set of confidence? Yeah, and it was just like, it was like, okay, like the thing is fat does not have to be a derogatory term. Like, okay, yeah, I am, but I own it and I look good. So who cares? But it's just like, okay, like. I, I shouldn't have let it get to me because it's like, I know I'm a fat girl, but I own it. I know I'm a black woman and I'm so proud to be a black woman. But it's just like, I think it's just like, oh, like no matter, the thing I realize is like, no matter how hard I work, there are some people who just hate you. will just hate me because of dope, being fat and black alone. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know what? That says more about them than me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm like, big yikes, but I know you looked good. Yes. And you should be celebrating because again, Summa, how do you say it? Summa cum laude. Yeah. yeah. I don't even, I only know it's a really big accomplishment. So I'm like, eh. Um, my big yikes moment for the week, you guys, is getting humbled with everything I order online that I think will fit and it doesn't. Need I say more? I don't need to. But Deborah, it has been an honor. I've needed her on my podcast <laughs> since it started, I kid you not, because she is just someone I look up to so much and is just so powerful and I cannot wait to see what you accomplished. Like, I cannot wait to see you like graduate and then be like, guys, I've had her on my podcast before. <laughs> Stop. Thank you so much for coming. And I'm just going to say like, if you have any like final words you want to leave the people with, this is your time. I would just say women, especially women of color here in Utah, F what anyone else has to say about you. Just own who you are because you are divinely made. Okay. Okay, Big Yikes Nation, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Deborah. Um, you can plug yourself with your social media handles right now. Deborah Colliman on all my social media handles. So D E B O R A H C O L I M O N. Follow her, I promise. It's going to be it's a great journey. Anyway, um, I might up, like release one more episode before I leave for London, but I probably won't because I got other things to do. I'm so so <laughs> I'm so excited to go to London. So see you guys whenever. Bye. <laughs>